Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. In this COVID-19 environment, uh, we continue to hunker down. Uh, of course, as always, I'm welcoming in, welcoming in my trusty sidekick, Boston Ward. Hello, Boston. How can I be a sidekick and a Boston? I, that, that doesn't add up. You're the boss here. This is your show. Yeah. Okay. Well, Boss Tim, Boss Tim May and Austin Ward. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I should start all over, right? Uh, but that was just sort of a shout out to a couple of guys who uh, uh, commented about that last, last week. I just figured I'd just call you Boston from now on and act like you don't have another name. But, uh, but I digress. You know, interesting times continue as we, uh, as we head into the first week of August here, Boston. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. We don't know what's going on, you know, in terms of where is there going to be a season, et cetera. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit when I come back with you on our, on our uh, second segment. But, you know, before that, I've got a, a conversation with Nina Day, uh, wife of Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. I had her on a year ago um, when she became the first lady, <laughs> first lady of college football in the state of Ohio. And, uh, and mainly the reason I had her on back then, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Ryan, but also talk about that new Christina and Ryan Day fund, which uh, – in association with Nationwide Children's Hospital, which is trying to help in the uh, in dealing with uh, mental or uh, childhood and adolescent uh, mental mental problems, mental illness, mental challenges, et cetera. And so I have her address that a little bit. And I will I will not warn people, but I will caution people that we were doing a hookup. She was with her kids over on a on a short respite over in New Hampshire. Of course, Ryan's still in in Columbus. Uh, as the Ohio State football team prepares for perhaps the start of preseason camp at the end of this week. We'll see how that goes. We'll talk about that in a little while. But, uh, but I, it was just an interesting conversation. And uh, after that, we'll come back, and you and I will kind of chop it up a little bit more about the challenges that uh, college football still faces right now and about the We Are United uh, manifesto that was put out by players from the uh, Pac-12 over the weekend. But uh, first, let's have my conversation with Nina Day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back with uh, Nina Day. You know her as Christina Day from the Christina and Ryan Day Fund. Uh, Nina, thanks for joining us again on the Tim May Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, she's being a little timid because our, our hookup between uh, our wireless hookup uh, over there in New Hampshire, where she is taking some well-earned uh, respite uh, from the, in this COVID-19 world is a little bit spotty. Isn't that right, uh, Nina? Yeah, it's very spotty here. <laughs> She's getting every third word I say, but uh, which is kind of like what my, the way my wife listens to me. So that's not really that bad. Uh, but, but Nina, I wanted to just uh, touch base with you a year after I had you on my podcast. Of course, Ryan was a, was a neophyte uh, a head football coach, but the main reason I had you on was because I was very interested in that uh, Christina and Ryan Day Fund, you guys had started uh, in 
cahoots with a nationwide children's hospital, you know, to basically address the mental mental wellness of 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 the of youth out there. And how has that fund gone as far as from your perspective? I think it's gone great. Um, I think that um, we have gotten you know donations not only from the Columbus area but nationwide. Um, and we are slowly, you know, generating awareness, um, and the importance of, you know, mental health, um, especially in adolescence. Um, we are currently working on curriculum to get into the schools to give to, uh, teachers and guidance counselors and parents to help, especially now, um, in, in, in the world we live in, to address mental health and, and some resources and some cur curriculum-based projects that they can do with their kids. You know, I, before we came on the air, I, I prefaced with, uh, I think there's been like an explosion of awareness about this problem. Uh, and maybe it's just because, you know, I don't know if it's kind of like you see uh, a car model that, that intrigues you, that maybe you're interested in, all of a sudden you start seeing them on the road everywhere, you know, you think you're the, you think you've discovered this car model. And in fact, it's been out there for a while, but in the last year, I know I've been aware of an explosion of awareness about this problem. Am I wrong or have you noticed it too that it's becoming a everyday conversation as opposed to conversation in the corners? Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, it is becoming everywhere now and I think it's, um, everyone is talking about it because I think um, it's touching everybody now, especially with COVID-19 and the things that are going on. Um, it's kind of a subject that can't be ignored anymore. I mean, we have a lot of physical illness in the world, but we have a lot of mental illness as a result. And they said the biggest side effect outside the physical aspects of COVID is, is the mental, um, is the mental well-being uh, of people now um, because of social distancing and the isolation that our people are feeling, um, especially with our children who haven't been in school for a long time and have not participated in, it's doing a lot of damage. So um, a lot of parents, a lot of teachers, um, a lot of people are starting to talk about it, which is a good thing. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, I watched this uh, documentary, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I think it's called The Weight of Gold. But uh, it was basically produced by Michael Phelps, you know, the, the most decorated uh, uh, Olympic athlete in history. And just about it, had, it was addressing this and about the weight that a lot of especially young athletes carry, uh, both from an internal pressure and an external pressure to, to achieve at the highest levels and stuff. And, and you know, and it, you know, cataloged uh, several Olympic for example, Olympic sport athletes who have committed suicide over the last several years. And uh, just because, you know, that maybe they weren't, didn't feel worthy of, of, of reaching their goal of gold and or uh, it just weighed on them so much that it became their, it became their persona as opposed to their real persona. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that yet or not, but those are the kind of things that kind of open awareness even more too that, uh, just when you think somebody's got it all, got the world by the tail, the tail may have them wrapped up, right? right. And uh, I don't know, what, what does that right. do? You yeah, no, I haven't seen it yet, but a number of people have talked about it. Um, no, I have not seen that yet, but a lot of people have talked about it. And um, 
you know, it's kind of the same reasons that, you know, Ryan takes mental health with his team so seriously. Um, yeah. You know, they're, you know, some of the best athletes in the country, um, you know, playing for Ohio State, but there's a lot of pressure and anxiety that go with it, you know, and in terms of, you know, doing things for themselves, their family, Buckeye Nation. Um, so a lot of athletes feel it. You know, how surprised were you to see some players step forward and even, you know, like B.B. Landers, we've had him on our podcast and on other places, and one of the greatest young men you're ever going to meet. You know B.B., <laughs> you know, and uh, but just see some of these guys step forward and address it, but also acknowledge uh, what it has meant to them. What, I guess what has that meant to you and Ryan to see it have that effect? It makes us proud and it makes us, it, it, it helps us because when you see, you know, football players and football coaches and people like that, you know, even Michael Phelps talking about mental illness, mental um, issues, um, it helps these younger kids be able to um, talk alone that a lot of people feel it. Um, and it doesn't, you know, you know, they're not, they're not different from feeling that way. So, um, yeah. You know, we were very proud, and um, we think it's great when people open up about it um, because it definitely helps our cause and helps the awareness, and it definitely helps children hear it. Yeah, but you, you know, you you you've been around you've been around athletics all your life. You were you were an athlete. Maybe you're still an athlete. I probably put that in the wrong in the wrong uh, nomenclature there. Uh, but uh, but the bottom line is, it is it is tough for you know, a robust young man or, or, or young, young, young woman to admit they have demons, right? I mean, uh, or at least they're dealing with demons, right? And uh, right. Uh, that to me is what is, has been the biggest thing here to make it, it just like a knee injury or a knee strain or something like that. And, and, uh, and Ryan, how, how long do you think it took Ryan to feel like he had that confidence of, of his players that they could step forward with this? Or do you think that's still a work in progress? Um, did you ask whether he, how comfortable he feels with yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because we grew up not talking about it. Thing that we dealt with, you know, privately. We didn't really talk to our families about mental health or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, you know, decided that, it, you know, it's something that we need to talk about. We're raising our kids much differently where we talk to them about it a lot. Um, and so I think when he became the head coach um, and we really wanted to do something that we felt passionate about and strong about um, and mental health, you know, was definitely something we kept going back to. And, you know, we thought, well, it's kind of an area where a lot of people are not really willing to talk about it yet, but we just thought given, you know, his position now and his platform that it was a good opportunity um, to do. And, you know, we're glad we did it. I think we're opening up, opening up a lot about it. I know a lot of his players are becoming more comfortable talking about it. Um, our children, their friends. So it's, it's something that, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think more and more people are becoming comfortable. And, you know, I know Ryan is very passionate about it now, um, yeah. but it did, it took a while. I mean, he's 40 years old. And I think in just the last couple of years, he felt comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's what I was getting to is how do you get players in to feel comfortable that to talk about something like that so that they don't think it's a, an X or a check mark on their evaluation sheet. You know what I mean? That's uh, 
that's that's the that's the real hurdle in it right yeah uh what's it been like to be the first lady of football in the state of ohio now for a year um and uh, what is the best advice maybe a shelly meyer gave you or someone like that of how to handle going from uh I don't, I'm not saying you were ever in the background, but going from over here to being the, the center of the universe when it comes to uh, football coaches' wives in the state of Ohio, what, what, what's been the biggest eye-opener for you? Well, it was, it was much different before COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. Because the last six months, we've been in isolation. So kind of life went back to, to normal a little bit. Um, but during the season, it was pretty intense. It's not something. But, you know, it's been great because Buckeye Nation is really, really great and so supportive. Um, but, you know, Shelly did sit me down before the season started a year ago and, you know, just basically told me just be myself and um, kind of stay true to who I am and don't try to be anybody else. Um, and I, you know, I took that to heart and I think that's, you know, that's what I've done the first year. Um, but you know, like Ryan and I say, you know, this is only his second season, but, you know, we're in such unprecedented waters. You know, even if coaches that have been coaching 40 years really have no idea what's going to happen this season or how to handle a lot of these new things. So it's been, it's been you know, a juggling act for him, especially because, you know, you're, you're talking about becoming a football coach, but dealing with, you know, a pandemic too. So it's kind of, you know... Got a lot of balls in the air right now. <laughs> I was gonna say I can't even I can't even imagine. You know, it's like it's it's crazy in in so many respects in that regard. But uh, you know, you know, it's uh, it's almost like I told Gene Smith a few weeks ago. You know, you ought to be you ought to be saving up stuff to write a book about how to handle a pandemic. You know, as an right. athletic director, and I'm sure Ryan as a as a football coach and stuff. Uh, but for you, I mean, is it, is what has been missed is that. Uh, I would think is that social gathering aspect of things. Like I remember when, you know, Urban Meyer would have the players over to his house, you know, just for a pool party or things like that. I don't even know if you guys have a pool, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, but that's what's sort of been missed <laughs> in all this, right? Is just getting to know people, the, the people you're working with, but the people you're working for. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, how, how much did you miss that? No, I miss aspect? the other wives. Yeah. I miss their children. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we, we miss, we, we didn't have our spring game and we didn't have our recruiting dinners in the spring. And we just had to cancel our, um, our dinner with the wives and, and, um, at Mirrorfield that we do every year. And just, you know, cause we got to, you know, play it safe and, and, and kind of socially distance. Um, so it's, it's kind of been isolating. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, things that, that we're missing right now and things are kind of, not back to normal and so but we're doing everything we can to to make sure you know we have a season and everybody stays healthy i got you real quick before i let you go i know what the lowest moment of last season football wise was we all know it was it was when the uh touchdown was taken off the board i'm just joking it was it was the loss to clemson but the touchdown being taken off the board after that strip strip uh, by jeffrey okuda and returned by jordan fuller which flipped that game that said what was the highest moment? What was the coolest moment that you remember sitting in the stands going, yeah, this, this is what I envisioned being, being the wife of the head coach of Ohio State football. This, this is what I envisioned it being all about. 
Um, probably, um, you know, at the Big Ten Championship when I looked up and saw Ryan, you know, hold up the trophy and, and uh, my daughter was peeking um, on one side of him and my son was on the other side of my other little daughter's head. And I just look at, looked up and I saw, you know, my kids and him with the trophy and the confetti. And I thought, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's yeah, really cool. absolutely. Hey, Nina, thanks for coming on with us again today. I mean, uh, you know, I know this is a kind of a tough hookup between us and, and where you guys, you've got your family over there in New Hampshire. Of course, Ryan's back in Columbus. I think he's sitting around with his fingers crossed like this, right? I mean, hoping things are going to come out. But, I mean, he's as cautious as anybody. You don't want to do stupid stuff right now just for the sake of football or whatever or even family, right? But uh, I really appreciate you coming on with us. I mean, you guys, how, how close to normal are you feeling right now, at least being on vacation back in your home state? Um, you know, we're, we're really kind of, you know, playing it safe. Um, you know, we're very, very, you know, we just want to keep everybody healthy because, you know, heaven forbid something, someone got sick in our family and, you know, the season means a lot to Ryan. He really wants to play. He wants to keep his players safe. So, so you know, even my son didn't play baseball this summer, which really, yeah. you know, was with his friends that really, you know, um, you know, kind of made him sad. So, you know, but we're just, we're doing everything we can to have a season. So, um, but being in New Hampshire and looking over the ocean is not the worst thing in the world. So <laughs> I can't complain. Yeah, well, keep, you, keep your head down. A hurricane may be headed y'all's way any, any, any moment now yeah. coming up the East Coast, right? Yeah, I just keep getting alerts on my phone thinking, <laughs> should I bring in the furniture? <laughs> hey, look at this one last thing. How proud are the people back there, you know, Ryan's not going to talk about it, but how proud are the people back there in y'all's home state, especially your hometown? Uh, Manch, how, how proud are they of Ryan and, and where you guys have gotten to? I mean, this, the state is so proud. I mean, we moved into a new home um, in May, and our neighbor had a huge Buckeye flag hanging from his porch to welcome us. Um, we go out boating, and there's Buckeye flags um, hanging, and um, – you know, we, we just, you know, we're walking around. There's people with Buckeye shirts on. So we got New Hampshire uh, and Scarlet and Gray. So they're very proud. And it's really uh, cool to see. I got you. Well, Nina Day, thanks for coming on with me again. We're going to have you on, a, you know, some more because I really appreciate your, your insight on things. But I really, truly appreciate what you and Ryan are doing with, your, with the Christina, Christina and Ryan Day Fund. I even gave money to it. We, we did uh, through my cup last year. Uh, which you know was it was a it was a I don't know a modest little uh, uh, donation, but it still made us proud. But I couldn't keep doing that because as you've noticed, if if I gave a dollar for every time I say uh, uh I'd be I'd be broke and uh, in re semi retirement. That's not the way to go, right? Yeah. No. Thank you for that. And you know, it doesn't matter how much as long you know every little cent you know matters, and we appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nina Day. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. Nina Day, she's a, an interesting uh, interesting person, right, Austin? Yeah, don't, don't call her the first lady of Ohio State. She hates that. No, nah, I said the first lady of Ohio, of Ohio football. Oh, Ohio that? football, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, she is the first uh, lady of Ohio State football. Whether she, it's kind of like, like thrust upon her whether she wants it or not. I know. There's nothing you can do about it. You, you might not want that title, but, you know, sometimes you inherit the throne. And uh, – she, 
she's got a really great personality. She's not as uh, outgoing in public as Shelly Meyer was or some other coaches' wives that I've known throughout the years. But when you get uh, around her a little bit, she's got a she's really sharp, great sense of humor. Obviously, cares a lot about this you know passion project with her and Ryan and Nationwide Children's, and I think it's a, a really cool that this podcast as well has helped contribute to that in some small way, but. Um, you know, any, any more attention that we can help bring to that, we're certainly going to do it. Absolutely. And uh, the, the interesting thing too, is like I was talking to her about, you know, being that first lady is, you know, yeah, it's stupid. It's a stupid moniker, but uh, <laughs> what, what else you got, you know? Well, but the bottom line is, you know, this COVID-19 thing has kept, it has blunted some of those efforts. You know what I mean? I mean, people aren't able to get together. Like she said, they, they had to cancel the, their, their, their uh, yearly, their annual dinner, you know, at the Mirfield country club or the Mirfield village of uh, dealing with that, you know, the players, I mean, the coaches, wives, et cetera. And, uh, and it's really, I think hampered, for example, you know, the, the head coach's wife especially likes to be involved as much as possible with the players, you know, and, uh, you haven't been be able to be around them, the players, and develop those relationships. Uh, and so this has been a challenge for everybody, just from that family atmosphere type of thing, which Ohio State has worked worked so hard to uh, generate, especially under Jim Trussell and and uh, Urban Meyer, you know, Luke Fickle, Urban Meyer, and now Ryan Day, and now that's been blunted. And you know, these are really challenging times in in all kinds of ways. And all of these guys would tell you, you know, the coaches that we we deal with on a day-to-day basis that they couldn't do it without the support system at home. That's especially true for the head duck. Um, so, you know, without, you know, it, there's part of this stuff with this first, you know, first lady business that, you know, Nina and Ryan, both of this was new for them. He'd never been a head coach before. She'd never been the wife of a head coach before. That's all new. And you, you have to think that both of them have done very well in these roles and, and trying to give back to charity. And they've done that in a number of different ways besides nationwide children but just to let him do it you know the day-to-day work and the number of hours that it takes and the challenges now that he's been facing when March and April where and even May where they're trying to do so much of this remotely you got to do it at home and find you know take care of the kids and give him an office space and chance to work I mean all of the all these are unique challenges it's not it's not specific to just Ryan Day and his family we all have that right now Uh, I'm sure that most people listening to this can relate to what their own families have had to do, you know, sitting in my home office and and my wife working from home, it's all been unprecedented. That's why it's so important to have that support system. uh, If you're trying to be successful in anything you do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even in semi-retirement, I've had my challenges, my man, (laughs) my challenges, you know, and of course, you know, zoom meetings aren't the greatest sometimes when it comes to audio (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes even video, but audio. And, uh, you know, we all yearn for the day when we can be back up there at the world headquarters of Letterman Row, right. there on Gay Street on the seventh floor, looking out over the uh, expanse that is downtown Columbus and uh, and being able to chop it up a little bit better. Hey, real quick, uh, I don't want to linger on this because I think most people are tired of talking about COVID-19, and, which is too bad because it's going to be with us for a while, it appears, <laughs> until that famous word vaccine is developed. But, uh, you know, we're all waiting to see what could be coming from the Big Ten this week. And that's why I thought, you know, people were a little bit uh, uh, ahead of the game or maybe uh, premature when they were talking about a, the Big Ten issuing a football schedule 
uh, within 24 hours. That was back on Thursday of last week, 24 to 48 hours, when in fact what came from the Big Ten was, hey, we're going to issue something maybe next week on whether we think even training camps can open, quote, on time on August the 7th, which told you, well, how can you have a schedule? I'm talking about a date when you don't even know when your training camp is going to open because that's going to predicate what's going to come after in terms of uh, uh, if the training camp can open on August, August 7th, then you could probably play the first weekend of September, you know, and yada, yada, yada right on down the line. So, you know, as we record this on, on a Monday, uh, we're waiting to hear more from the Big Ten on what they think is plausible for their members to even open training camps, right? Yeah, and there's so many moving parts here. And as you said, I mean, there were people that thought that the Big Ten would put out a schedule even the week before last Friday. And that's just – none of it was realistic because of, you know, Michigan State and Rutgers were both going into a full-team quarantine right then. So even if, you know, there were ideas that Ohio State was willing and able to play on September 5th and play in week one, and maybe that will still end up happening, you know, well, two members of their own division – probably won't be able to play in week one or two uh, because they're going to want the time back from the ramp up right. to go into training camp. They don't want to be two weeks behind everybody else. So that's just one new hurdle that was thrown into this equation. And I think it's also, you know, you're looking at that quarantine that still goes through Friday for Michigan state and Rutgers. So I think that's why it's in the back of Kevin Warren's mind and his, you know, uh, in emerging infectious disease uh, task force that, uh, is it really going to be safe for them if they couldn't get through these non-contact practices to have full practices, full training camp starting on Friday? There have been a lot of success stories in the Big Ten and across the country with eliminating or mitigating positive tests, a lot of them. Uh, there's been progress made to actually play football. I think that you look at some of these schools that had a huge numbers of tests and then bring them down to zero. That's great, but that's been in a relative bubble. The yes. next step for – you know, for Ohio State on Friday, if they go out and practice, and then the students come back in a couple of weeks, so they're they're hitting each other again, like real football. We still don't know how that all will play out when they're in close quarters. Then add in students returning to campus, if in fact that's what you know winds up happening on campus in Columbus. Um, these are all things that have to be considered. So, the number of tests, um, you know, how often you need to test. Uh, how long to quarantine in you know, the big 10 has been trying to work all these answers out before they can say definitively go ahead and go do this on Friday. I think they will because I'm not sure that they're prepared to pull the plug entirely on the season, which is what you'd be doing if you said you can't go report to training camp on Friday in my mind. Right. But, but the interesting thing is now it brings the question, uh, like you just pointed out, uh, it brings the question, Will it, would a conference be willing to go on and play, a, try to play a schedule without one or two or four of its members? I think, you know, that could be that could be on the table as this thing goes on the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, try join us when you can. <laughs> Jump on the tail end, you know. Uh, uh, but I, I really, you know, like I said, I, I do believe there's going to be some football played in college in college in college this year. We'll see how much is, is involved. But, you know, this is the interesting thing is I was talking with people over the weekend, you know, uh, about the challenges uh, that football in particular faces, one of which is like Ohio State. You know, the way I understand Ohio State has the capability of giving a, a youngster, a young man a test 
and maybe by the end of the day or early the next day having the result of it. Whereas I'm under the impression that, for example, Michigan State doesn't have that capability. It's like a two to four day wait. Uh, for example, that's an example, which means you're not dealing apples and apples there. Like if you were testing on a Thursday before a game, well, what good would a test be on a Thursday before a game if you can't get the test result back before, let's say Friday, before you jump on an airplane and or before you go to the, the team hotel before a game, if in fact they do that this year. Um, so there are all these uh, apples and oranges that you're kind of dealing with even within the conference. And then the other interesting thing that was brought up, I was talking to a couple of guys about football in particular, the interesting uh, about, the, about the actual contact of the game, you know, I think, I think it's, it's almost universal agreement that tackle, the tackling aspect of it, the running into guys on a momentary basis and, and then boom, the play breaks up. That's not the biggest challenge in football. What is the biggest challenge as well, far as, as, far as that, that, that atmosphere or that climate that could uh, be the real problem? Well, an offensive and offensive exactly. line. They're going to be breathing on each other for five to ten seconds minimum every play. It's the big guys, the hog mollies. You know, they're like I had Jack Newhart on my podcast last week, and I was trying to get him to address, you know, some of those kind of challenges. But that's where that's where football is different from from baseball and any other sport because you put wide receivers out against cornerbacks, they're – three or four yards from each other, you know, and they're away from away from the group. And the quarterback, you know, who doesn't line up in the shotgun every play now almost? Well, like, Ohio State occasionally takes under center now. So <laughs> we saw that uh, development last year. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the bottom line is the big boys. And that's what makes it football, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, uh, as I call, uh, 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 parking lot, tailgate, throw around. Uh, what makes it football is the big guys. And, uh, like, I've I, – I said to this one guy, I said, well, couldn't they develop some kind of like big partition that just drops down, you know, from the middle of the field and drops down between <laughs> the lines and pulls up, you know, Pull up. Like, a, like a start of a motocross race, you know, motorcycle race, you know, uh, pulls up and boom, they go at it, you know. Yeah. Uh, Coming out of the chutes at the rodeo. Exactly. But, uh, of course, he laughed as I meant that in, in jest. And, and so that's – that's what makes football different from every other sport. I mean, even in hockey, they're just hitting each other every now and then, you know. And we watched the Blue Jackets play uh, Toronto uh, over the weekend, and you could see those guys were sitting side by side on the benches and stuff. They feel like they've got it under control. We'll see if they do. They, they do have a pristine uh, situation so far in terms of negative tests, correct? Yep. So they're sort of making it happen. But we'll see as that tournament goes along how it goes. I think college football is very interested to see how these NFL camps are going to, which are starting this week, how they're going to go. Uh, You know, what, what is going to be the transmission factor there? What are going to be the positive test factor there? That will, that will definitely give them an idea of what they're facing down the road in August. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, if the NFL is paying attention to what has happened already with not only the NHL, which is in that pristine bubble that you mentioned, MLS, which has been able to execute a tournament without positive tests since they arrived. Um, and, you know, women's professional soccer had the same sort of deal, and the NBA yeah. is having success. Well, what's the common theme there compared to Major League Baseball, which went four days, which we talked about last week before tests popped up? It's the bubble. 
All right. And I understand that there are huge logistical challenges because football rosters are bigger college and NFL. They're both much larger. You need more people to travel. Uh, it would be hard to find one or two locations to house 16 NFL teams. I get all that, but if they don't have some sort of bubble in place, uh, whether that's just within, you know, if the Cleveland Browns are staying in the facility in a nearby hotel and don't go anywhere else until they play the Bengals. I mean, you have to have something like that in place. Yeah. I know that that's hard for people to give up that time. That's why the opt-out is available to them if they don't, you know, want to cash in or if they feel it's too risky. And again, that's not going to be perfect to compare to college football because of something that, you know, also happened over the weekend in the Pac-12 where they're not being compensated and they're taking risk for other people to profit. And I understand all that too, but as, I, as we get closer and closer to this, this date, whether that's Wednesday to decide training camp, whether they kick it a month down the road to start in late September like the Pac-12 and the SEC, this challenge is not going to go away. And I, don't, yeah. I just don't know how it's solved. By the way, you kind of you kind of you kind of uh, uh, dipped your toe into the water where I wanted to go next. I mean, the stream I wanted to go to next, which is the uh, um, the Pac-12 uh, players, what uh, over a hundred or so players uh, um, signed or a part of this. Uh, we are united. I call it sort of like a manifesto in the sense of laying down some demands. Either this or that. You know, either this or we walk or we don't. We don't walk. We don't play. Uh, which came out over the weekend uh, through the Players Tribune. Uh, I don't know uh, the demands part. What what just jumped out at you? And I'll give you. I'll I'll come back after you give me. Uh, you know, I'll give you first dibs on it. But what just jumped out to you as far as being plausible and implausible? Implausible is a fifty-fifty revenue. Oh, I was going. That was going to be mine, man. <laughs> That's not well, like those guys in the press. I, I you, know, gonna, you took my question. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just. I I know that that we can agree on that part of it. So I wasn't. I don't feel the need to even address it that much. That doesn't even. You know, the NFLPA, the NBA Players Association, all those professional leagues have been trying to get fifty-fifty split with the owners as long as those organizations have existed. And yeah. uh, spoiler, they're not getting it. And. Hey, you got to ask for whatever you can ask for. If you're starting point in a negotiation, you ask high and then you go from there. So what what do they really want out of this? I think they the, the things that could be achieved are, you know, asking for support to, you know, protest racial injustice, those things. Hey, the NCAA stunningly has already taken some steps to that by allowing them to put things on their jersey, which they I would have thought would be unthinkable until this very year or even a week ago. I wouldn't have thought that they would allow that. Uh, and then you have a number of things where you go down the list trying to guarantee, you know, the safety and COVID protocol uh, for these players and guaranteeing scholarships and uh, maybe offering them, uh, you know, four or five, you know, six years of medical assistance after their careers are over. That stuff is all doable. Yes. Um, now the schools would have – the reason that they would fight so hard to maintain that big piece of the pie is because they're going to have to pay – for that correct down the road so they need that money and it might not all it's not all going all straight in the pocket of larry scott i mean the, those those ad's are going to have to help fund those you know the doctor's bills down the road if that's what it comes to and that's why you need to protect um the revenue as much as possible sharing some absolutely i think that should happen it's overdue yeah 
I agree with that 100%. <clears throat> but I agree with that 100%. But the 50%, I'm just trying to be, be funny there. It's just like, you know, pie in the sky. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, you know, as you well know, I had Pat Chun, the athletic director of Washington State, on here a couple of weeks ago on my podcast. And, he, you know, you talk about apples and oranges. That's, that's Washington State's athletic department budgeting, uh, revenue generating. Uh, situation compared to like an Ohio State, it's apples and oranges. Number one, their stadium, you know, is a you know is a a third the size of Ohio Stadium, for example. Uh, the Pac-12 uh, television revenue is nowhere near what the Big Ten is. Uh, and then and and my point is, the Washington State, for example, is one of those schools that it needs the help from the university, from the from the general fund, from the student activity fee aspect of things to maintain a uh, Division One A or FBS, however you want to uh, designate it, uh, athletic department and budgeting. And so to, to compare, you know, I'm trying to even think of a school in the big, in the Pac-12 that's uh, really even close to like an Ohio State or a Texas or an Alabama in terms of revenue generation. I'm, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure USC is not even there, you, yeah. you, you know, private school, et cetera. But uh, there, it's, it's not the same, you know, and, uh, and, and so the 50-50 thing was just like, you know, thing, the thing you wonder about when you read something like that was there were some demands there that I totally agree with. I think if you suffer a, an injury playing college football and it goes with you through life, you should receive some type of medical and or uh, uh, aid assistance throughout your life as long as you're dealing with that because you put it on the line for good old, good old you, okay? Uh, and so that, that, that to me is a no-brainer. I don't know why that's never been the case. Uh, but there are some places that don't take care of you. As far as six years to get your degree, you know, Ohio State has been after bringing guys back and helping them and are paying for their, uh, their schooling to finally get their degree for a long time. But that's not the way it is everywhere. I understand that. But, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're kind of like looking at things from your vantage point of a team you've been covering and you realize some of these other schools aren't that, aren't the same, right? Yeah. They really kind of don't care. And uh, they don't necessarily have the, the financial means to take care of things like that. But the Ohio State, you know, with, with its huge alumni base, but also the people willing to give to all kinds of causes uh, when it comes to Ohio State athletics, athletics, et cetera, they're able to afford such, such, luxuries if in fact that's the case but that's a no-brainer to me that uh you if the one thing you should get out of your college experience as a football player uh, who was brought there to help them win games is a degree now it shouldn't be just handed to you uh you know willy-nilly you should earn earn the degree uh, mm -hmm. but you should have as much time as you need to get that if in fact you go to the nfl and you go bust uh you should have uh, the right to come back to school and get that degree the thing I did agree also in the manifesto, the uh, We Are United situation, was this idea, I d never understood why you can be a baseball player or a hockey player or a, or a basketball player, and if you don't take a representation and or hire, you know, uh, have people give you money when you declare to go to, you know, eligible for eligibility for your draft of your sport if you don't get drafted or if you don't get drafted where you think you should I don't understand why football can't have the same rule where you get to return as long as you haven't taken money or if you've taken money from an agent if you've paid it back I, 
that's the part I never have understood. No one's been able to explain that to me. Explain it to me, Boston. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know why. I mean, they're casting these, these players out who, uh, you know, take their shot. Painted. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't welcome them back. And I think it's the strangest part about that, Tim, that, that is hard to wrap your mind around is how like every other sport has made progress on that front. We've seen that with the N, you know, NBA and college basketball in particular over the last few years, like letting them go through a combine and letting them, you know, I, I think they still haven't <laughs> forced these guys to make their decisions yet, unless I'm yeah. mistaken, like letting it go out throughout this whole process and get feedback and, um, you know, wait for the, the draft. You, so many of these guys don't wind up in, in, in situations that work in their favor. Well, let them try again. Like you're supposed to be doing everything you can for the student athlete, you know, to use the NCA lingo. Yeah. Like, why would you not support them the second that they want to try to go pro? Like it just, it doesn't, not even looking at other sports, but if, if somebody came up with the vaccine on Ohio State's campus, they wouldn't be trying to keep them from cashing in and becoming a billionaire. Right. How is that any different? You want to support the kids that you brought in for a reason until the second they make one decision you might not like, but it could be a wrong one. Like we all make wrong choices. Help them out. It's, I don't know. I'm with you. I just, I don't understand why that doesn't exist, especially when, you know, I've covered, you know, college baseball was a much bigger deal in the sec. And you know, you have, you could go uh, a full year you know, weighing your options and deciding what to do. Don't sign your contract. And yeah, the NCAA is just such a bizarre organization. And this comes to that people are increasingly saying, well, will schools like Ohio State and the top power five in Texas and Alabama, will they finally break free? I mean, they don't want to start their own organization because it would just be exactly like the NCAA. I, there you go. Now you've finally come around. You've come around to my way of thinking. That's what I was talking. I was on a national show several months ago, and they were talking about, well, this is going to make take the Power Five and make it. Yeah, and I go, well, you still got to have an organization. You still got to have rules. It can't be the wild, wild west. You know, that's what. You know, those. That's off on another tangent. But you agree, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? I mean, you. You know, the NFL's got rules. You yeah. know, it's a professional league where you get paid to play, but they still have rules on how much you know, what you can do, et cetera. So it's, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, I just, this is just an interesting time because so many more people have a mouthpiece now. Uh, and by the way, the other thing I liked about the manifesto was, uh, was, was the idea that uh, this, no one could govern whether players could talk to the media, et cetera. I like that part of it, didn't you? You know what please. I mean? These rules. About, bring, bring that on, please. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have like 20 players right here on my podcast right now. We'd be talking about the manifesto. But instead, we're waiting to see if, in fact, there is a response uh, or reaction from like Big Ten players uh, about what they just saw over the weekend. And uh, so that's where this could really go and really, really explode, really, if uh, you get right down to it. Because if all of a sudden uh, it's September 5th and it's Team A versus Team B, and the key players on Team A and Team B aren't playing not because of COVID, but because of night because of demands. That's going to be an interesting day in uh, collegiate athletic sports history. And I think you know, this is a, a an interesting time in all of you know college athletics history. But it's I think the tipping point where the players have finally realized the power that they have. There have been a number of proponents over the year. I'm not breaking new ground, but you know national columnists or whoever that say, well, 
if they want to change, then the guys should have sat out for the final four one year. Uh, if they wanted more pieces of the pie, then they should skip the college football playoff. And that stuff's really easy to say. And it's always been much harder for players to take that step. But they've the one thing they've been granted here by this unprecedented situation and when they realize that w- with the Black Lives Matter protests, how impactful their words can be, they have finally had a, a platform and an opportunity kind of coalesce at just the right time where they recognize now finally the power that they can have and the ability, there's a, actual, you know, college football wants to be played. Schools want to make their money and they're going to be more desperate for it than they have ever been. There won't be a long line of people right. willing to take their spots. Uh, they're a month away from the start of the season. Everybody, every other sport is on the line if football is not played. And college football players have, have realized that. And they're speaking up and they're, t- and they're speaking their mind and they're taking a stand. We'll see how these negotiations wind up playing out. They, don't, they historically don't go in favor of the players, but we've also never been in a historic moment quite like this. And I, this, is, this is the opportune t- moment for them to strike and change college football forever. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they changed uh, uh, 50% of the revenue to 50% of the profit that uh, athletic departments, you know, reap. Like, for example, Ohio State, Ohio State was already dealing with a uh, with an athletic department, uh, you know, budget uh, situ- tightening budget situation before COVID-19 happened. So, right. you know, you're going to share what among 750, 800 athletes, a uh, million dollars or something? Well, okay, if that – if that's what you want, but to 50% of the money coming in the door is not the right, right way of looking at things. You know, you, uh, any business has to make a profit before it pays its, uh, before it pays its employees. Now the employees, uh, the employees work that they do uh, is part of generating that revenue. I understand that I'm not, but, but you know, a college scholarship is worth a hell of a lot of money. Number one, uh, if you just take that in consideration, they're already getting stipends that they weren't getting uh, five, 10, 15 years ago, et cetera. Uh, meals have been relaxed in terms of who can eat, et cetera. You know, all, right on down the line, there have been, there have been uh, pro- progression. There's been progression along that front. But like you and I both agree, there should also be more progression on the players sharing more in the uh, profits that are made uh, at uh, at, from the fruits of their labor, et cetera. And when college, college coaches' uh, uh, contracts have just gone out of sight in a lot of places, not everywhere, but a lot of places, and even athletic department officials, just how much athletic departments have grown in terms of, you know, uh, assistant athletic directors and things like that over the last 20 years is crazy. I mean, in terms of the number of people involved, but yet they're all doing jobs, you know. I mean, so – where do you start figuring out where the largesse really is and start hacking away? You know, that's, it's easy to point the head coach making $7 million a year, but he may, he may get fired at the end of this year if he's not, if he doesn't produce, if you, you know, so I'm talking myself into a rabbit hole there and, uh, and uh, it's not funny because I see eyes looking back at me. So, well, uh, I, you know, I think, it's, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, where, where do you start cutting? Uh, did Clemson need a, a slide in the facility and, and putt-putt? Uh, course for players. Well, what was that? All, what was all that stuff put in? It was put in to attract players to make it more attractive. And then the manifesto, the players say, "We don't." You know, they're basically saying, "You don't need all that." You know, yeah. you just. I don't, uh, I don't think they want. I don't think they care yeah. about that. Like I don't either. If you're 17 and 18 and you come in on a visit, it probably catches your eye. But 
then you you don't realize maybe at that time that when you're 19, 20, and then 21, the stuff that you might want to do with your free time is probably not related to being in that facility. Yeah, and that's great for the for the coaching staff and those programs if they can keep them there as often as possible to do the work beyond the 20 hours that is necessary to really be a championship team. I understand all of that. And I understand why the coaches want it and why there's, I understand why the athletic departments are spending that money because they have to, to balance the books and keep from paying the players in the first place. But yeah, ask, that's a good ask point. Any, yeah. Ask any player that you and I have ever covered that what, what is more important to them, a waterfall in the locker room, a slide in the facility, or maybe getting 200 bucks just at a, just at a minimum or the ability to play NCAA football on Xbox. Ask them which one they would want. I know the answer, and everybody does. Deep down, the athletic directors know that too, which is why we're at this impasse. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, it's interesting why you, when you said that uh, the, the slide, you know, did that slide in Clemson, did it did have like a balls, balls pit at the bottom of it, they had to get rid of it because of the COVID-19 thing? <laughs> you know, you slide down and go into the ball pit. I haven't uh, I haven't had the pleasure of visiting that facility. You no, know, I was down there. I was down there when they were when they were just about done with it. It was before Ohio State played Clemson a few years ago, and went down for their media day before the uh, uh, college football playoff situation. And uh, you know, it's a nice facility. All these things are nice facilities. Uh, but the, you know, the other thing aspect before we go, um, if you get what the if you give in to what the players want, now in essence. Are they going to be, in essence, instead of signing a national letter of intent, signing a contract? Uh, you know, and now, but then when you sign a contract, you know, you're working for somebody. And that person has the right, you would think, there's no such thing as not being able to fire somebody. You might have a union, you might have to go through the union, but now do they want to put that in jeopardy? You know, their, the, uh, uh, their well-being from the standpoint of uh, a scholarship, you want to put that on the line every year in a tryout situation when there's new players coming in and you only have room for 85 because you don't have rules. It's going to be like the, the NFL, you know, it's 43, I mean, what, 45 spots, whatever, available on a, on a uh, Sunday afternoon and 53 or 57 spots, whatever it is now on the roster. Uh, but do you, want to, do you want to take on that aspect of it, players, you know, that you, in fact – could be hired and fired based on how good you are, whether you got hurt last year, you know, here's your, here's your injury, uh, a settlement. Uh, we'll see you later. Is that what you want? You know, uh, there are, you know, there's no way you put out a manifesto and everybody goes, okay. And you move on with life. So well, they, uh, they also real their, life they, will bite you in the butt. Yeah. And look, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to tell them what they should or shouldn't do or what they want. They should try and make as much change as they possibly can, and I support that. But what you're talking about with contracts, they also put in there that they want to be able to transfer without penalty. Well, I mean, your employer, if it's a contract, probably not going to be a big fan of that, just letting you out with no, no repercussions. We've all worked at places with contracts that are hard to get out of or difficult or impossible or, uh, you know, tricky or, or cost you money to get out of that happened or, to me. Yeah. or hey or ohio state needs a left tackle and they've got an extra quarterback and yeah, so great. do they constitute a trade you know ohio state to alabama you know and uh, plus a a player to be signed a player to be signed to a national letter of intent later i mean right. uh 
you know, there are all kinds of like avenues this could go down if in fact it becomes a employee employer situation. And then take into account, no matter what, college football, you know, your college football career is five years in which you get to play four. It's not you sign today and you can play for the next 15 years if you stay healthy. I mean, it's just, I don't know. And you got to have a clock. Somebody's got to be keeping a clock, you know, on when you signed, when you first played, and uh, when you've got to leave, you know, and uh, do you get parting money, you know. I don't – Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, isn't it, Austin? Wouldn't it be – wouldn't it be wild though if they just got rid of you know five to play four and let's like yeah Tebow wasn't really made for the NFL game but what if he just stayed at Florida forever? Think about Red Grange. Think about Red Grange. If he could have just played at Illinois forever and they could have paid him, you know, instead, yeah, of, right. having to, instead of having to deliver ice every summer, you know, if he could just gotten paid, uh, uh, he would have never gone to the Chicago Bears because the NFL stunk back then. You know, they needed the college players to get the juice going for their own league. I mean, just think, there would never been the NFL. It would just be college, quote, college football. Yeah. Like, you know, some guys make really good uh, living playing in the minor leagues for a long time or uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah. Hey, if, if, if Tebow was just a really great college football player, which he was, one of the great ones of all time, and not an effective NFL player, hey, he could have made – uh, oh. Several million a year being the Florida Gators quarterback for forever. Like, oh. He might still be there. Yeah. I mean, imagine if the three amigos hadn't gone to the NFL, you know, you'd have had like 15 wide receivers on Ohio State last year <laughs> all wanting a catch, you know, and uh, whatever. Anyway, I don't know, Boston. We're in just a, a, a an interesting time, as Nina Day said, uh, yeah. you know, earlier in my podcast and uh, all kinds of challenges uh, that uh, – college athletic directors and college head coaches are facing right now. And, and look, I, I think this is, this was a fun, you know, sort of digression about where all this was going and, and what the contracts could work. But I think it, just having this conversation and the things that are difficult to, to counter and match up with just for the PAC 12 players, let alone COVID as a whole and putting together a schedule and trying to play like this unprecedented time has way more questions than any answers and we could that there are thousands of them and we yeah. don't you and I don't know all the answers we we oftentimes have good ideas but it's hard to find a perfect solution for a lot of these things that that players want out of this opportunity and can actually uh, ensure that we get to watch college football which we all want to do starting next month it's just it's so so challenging right now and, and there are just days where I sit here and it's like I don't even know where to begin if there's so much right. work to be done well, maybe we'll have a few more answers a week from now when we gather for the uh, yet another Tim May podcast. I know one thing, we're going to have a great blast from the past from Ohio State football history. And, and he can hopefully give us some perspective on the way things were back then and kind of draw some uh, parallels to the way things are now. But until then, until the next Tim May podcast, this is Tim May for, for Boston Ward. Thanks for joining us.